In the boat, baby, make up dance, storms are coming. Everybody looking with their left, their umbrella. Hopped into a boat that day, paddling away and taking Jesus to the other side. Jesus sleeping in the back, trying to catch a little nap, suddenly a storm arrived. Thunder in the sky, lightning in their eyes, disciples before their life. I like the dancing and singing in the worship center. Uh, dance moves. I like being able to sing and dance. He spoke up, the storm bit him, the wind and waves. I also like the crafts, they're kind of hard and you don't have a lot of time to work on them but it's still worth it because in the end they look pretty good. I like um, when you play outside. Hold the destination, so hands up. Praise the Jesus, let's go. Left, right, left, right, we dance again. Well, we learned about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three guys who said no to worshiping the king. I want patience. God always loves you, and he will never stop loving you. He's always there for you, and that you can trust him with anything. Just to, like, trust him, and, like, if I have, like, any worries, just, like, go to him and pray and things like that. God can always keep a promise, but you have to wait for it every single time. Jesus can help you through everything, and that if you trust in him, it's good enough that you can do amazing things. The shepherds here are really nice. They treat you like their own kids. They're really nice to you. I like the shepherds because they usually talk to me when I get there. His love is like a rocket, watch it blast off. And he makes my life so cosmic, watch me take off. Invite your friends. Invite your friends. I think it's a really good learning experience. It just shares what God brings to this world to more and more people because a lot of people don't have a chance to learn that. You could do it online if you're not from Iowa. VBS is really fun. You should definitely come to VBS. We're all right. Come on, dance with me. Let's elevate him. Yeah. Hi, Hope. Uh, well, we've had a week uh, here, and we're looking forward with great anticipation to this week ahead, too, because it's week two of EBS here in West Des Moines. It's some of the other campuses that are tuning into the sermon right now. You either just had VBS or you're about to have VBS uh, or you're doing VBS online. Um, we've even got a group of people from Japan who are doing VBS this year. It just blows my mind, uh, the reach that God has through this ministry. So praise God. Yeah. Uh, this is the first time I've preached in a while. Uh, usually in the summer I take um, some time to focus on long-range planning and, and do some of uh, the things that I'm supposed to do as senior pastor. And that's been really fun. It's been really exciting. Um, we have a uh, renewed uh, commitment to the vision that God has blessed us with, a crystal clear vision for the future of this church uh, as staff and as leaders. And we got to share that. Uh, plus, I want to say this before I go on and start preaching. What a, what a joy to be a part of a church that has uh, a team of gifted preachers and to be able to hear from them throughout the last five, six weeks. Praise God uh, for all of them. Thank you. Um, you're, you're, um, you're getting upgrades uh, when I'm not assigned to preach, and that's a good thing. So I'm, ex I'm excited to be a part of that team and excited to... Um, to be a part of a church where uh, you, have, you have preachers and teachers, Bible teachers who are committed to um, connect you to this word. Because this word is transformational. It changes lives. I'm standing here during VBS, like right here. This is my spot. Uh, and then all around are all these song leaders. Um, so I'm like Gladys Knight and they're the pips. Uh, uh, or, you know, there's different ways to look at that, I suppose. But... Um, or maybe I'm the one who shouldn't be dancing anymore, and so they're dancing and singing, and I'm just like the DJ. Uh, and I'm here, though, it's silly, but there's a serious and weighty responsibility to it. So here I have this message of God's word with all of its depth and breadth and meaning and transformational power. And then I'm looking out at a room of, of thousands of kids 
filling up this worship center and knowing that it's happening at our other campuses too. And I know the other pastors who stand up in, in places like this at different Hope locations feel the same weight and responsibility and privilege and honor. And then we have a bunch more kids here in West Des Moines downstairs in the gym, so we do it all over again. So each session of VBS, I, I feel the responsibility of how do we take this, uh, this word, this holy, glorious, timeless word of God and communicate it in a way that these kids are going to be able to not just think about it, but experience it. Well, I'm not alone on that. The Apostle Paul, uh, I needed another hand. I had to open my Bible, hold the clicker, and put on my readers. <laughs> so here it is. This is Paul writing to the church he loves. Man, I love the kids at VBS. I, I love this church. I feel this same responsibility every time I stand here and preach. Paul's summing it all up. So it's probably worth paying attention to this in Ephesians 3, verse 14. It says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. <laughs> when I think of the power of God's love, I fall to my knees. Because it's overwhelming like that. If the power of God's love doesn't drive you to your knees every once in a while, you're really missing out on a good party. You're really missing out on the key to life. The thing that will unlock the door. The, to all sorts of things that you've set out as goals. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth, and I pray that from God's glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with an inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts, not just your minds, but in your hearts as you trust in him. And then your roots will grow down into God's love. Everyone say love into God's love and keep you strong. And then you will have the power to understand, as all God's people should, just how wide, how long, how high, and how deep God's love is. Do you? May you experience this love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will get these other things that you've been longing for, you've been striving for. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That's the thing about VBS. You know, every year we do VBS, and man, it, you know, last year was different because it was all online in, in the middle of the pandemic, and it was, it was awesome, but it was different. This year I realized I'm not taking this for granted anymore, being able to stand here and look out at these kids' faces and see, see things like, like this, and this, and this. Those are holy moments. Those are kids who are not just going through the motions of, here, I'm at VBS and it's fun and I get a t-shirt and there's stickers and, and we do silly things. We do. But it's on purpose for the purpose of connecting that, that love of God, that transformational love of God that brings us to completion with all the fullness of life and, and a power that transforms us. Paul knows, the Apostle Paul knows, so he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus that he helps start through the Holy Spirit. He says, look, here's what I really need you to remember. Here's what you've got to know at the very essence of the Christian faith resides this amazing grace of God poured out through his love. And the Greek word here for love, everyone say love one more time. Love. That word in the Greek is agape. It means literally a grace-based love. A love that you don't have to earn, that you can't earn. That isn't deserved, and it's freely given. It's too great to understand it fully. I, I can use, you know, English words to try to define it for you. I can tell you stories. Uh, but there's nothing quite like, and that's why Paul gets to it. May you experience this love, not just know the definition of it so that you could check the right box on a multiple choice quiz of, of what grace is or what love is that comes from God. May you actually experience it. May it be your experience in life. May it be something you feel. May, may it be a holy moment for you. May it be a connection with God. 
the, the creator with his creation. May you have that depth and substance of faith that it isn't just something you go through the motions of or reduce to casual you know, rules and regulations and you got to do this and, and you can't do that and, and you have to serve here and do these things and you, you have to keep up with other people in the church by doing all the Bible studies they've done and mission trips they've done and serve the way they serve and get into the groups they're in and all these things. No, 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 we don't do those things as first things. We do those things because we've experienced the love of Christ. It's because God's grace is amazing that you can't keep us from wanting to do those things. And here's the test. And I'm going to put this out there because I love you and I don't want you to miss this. If you don't feel like doing those things, maybe you need to go back to the love. Maybe you aren't experiencing the power of God's grace enough. Maybe you're distracted. Maybe you've been... Um, wandering a little spiritually. Maybe, maybe you went on to a detour. Maybe somebody led you the wrong way and convinced you that, that at its core, at its deepest levels, the most mature Christians are the ones who do X, Y, and Z, who check, 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 or, or you know, the whole alphabet, A through Z. You have to do all these things. But that's not what somebody who's as reliable a source as, as the Apostle Paul said to the church in Ephesus. As I think about all these things, I fall to my knees, Paul says, overwhelmed by the power of God's amazing grace. I want you to experience this love in all of its height and depth and breadth and everything that it is. It's too great for us to grasp fully, but it's something that we can tap into. It's something that can be done to us. Is God's love something that you feel? Is it something that you experience? I can't make you feel it. But there are some things that I can show you as one blind beggar telling other blind beggars where to get some good food that, that I can talk to you about, that I can teach you from God's word that maybe are the obstacles that are keeping you from experiencing this love. And it's not just the love as an end to itself. It's what this love brings to us. Then... Once you experience this love, you can't be the same anymore. Then you'll be made complete. Then you'll experience the fullness of life. Then you'll experience, isn't that what we're all striving for? We want to have a full life. What Paul is saying toward the end of his life, looking back on it all, you can't get there unless you start here. You can't get fullness of life. Until you experience the love of Christ, you won't be full because God wired you up this way. It starts with his grace. It starts with his love. Amazing grace. There's a guy named John who was born in 1725. This is a picture of him, true story. And his mother took him to church in London uh, when he was young, kind of like VBS and Sunday school and worship and and they were very faithful, and he was very diligent. His father was a captain of a, of a ship, and so he wasn't home a lot. He was always out on voyages, but mom took John to church every week. John was an only child. He came to church. He, he, he was a part of a church that was kind of on the edge of, um, of, of the state church in England. It wasn't, it, it wasn't you know, kind of um, focused in on traditions and, and those kinds of things. It was focused in on God's word and the power of this love. And it had an effect on John as, as a young boy. He memorized scripture. He loved singing the, the songs at worship. And it stuck with him. It got into his heart. He experienced it. He experienced the love of Christ. You're never too young for that. He experienced God's love. But when he was seven, his mom died. And his dad took over full custody and care and by the time he was 11, his dad started taking him on voyages on the ship that he was the captain of, which probably wasn't the greatest moral environment for an 11-year-old boy. And John was influenced by that and sort of left his faith behind that his, his church had taught him about the first seven years of his life and started exploring the wild side of this world and, and started going off and doing his own thing and 
got involved in all the other things that everybody else in the ship was doing. And he had a big personality. So he wasn't just a follower. He became a leader. And he, he completely gave up his faith, became a proud atheist, would, would mock people who were believers in Christ and, and would try to convince them otherwise who were on the ship and, and would try to lead them to, to, to having no faith because he thought then they'd be more fun. And then when he was about 20 years old, there's a big storm at sea. And uh, John thought for sure he would perish and drown and the ship would go down. And he started, much to his surprise, realizing that the only thing he really had to lean on in that moment was the stuff he grew up with the first seven years of his life. He started remembering the scripture verses that he had memorized as a little boy. He started remembering the songs and he started to sing them in the storm. The songs from worship. Because what else do you have left when you're facing your own mortality than the power of God's amazing grace? John made a deal with God in the midst of that storm. He says, if you save me from the storm, I'll change my ways. He, he had gotten into such darkness. I mean, we're all more complicated than we want to be, so I don't want to suggest that he was completely off, you know, the edge. But he got into some things that are about as dark as anybody can get into uh, back in the day. I'm not sure what I'm doing. And, and trust me, I'm not being electrified, so don't worry, I'm okay. He, um, he started getting involved in some things that were really dark, slave trade. He would go on voyages on his ship and he would pick up slaves in Jamaica and the Caribbean and Africa and he would take them back to England and sell them. He's selling human beings to be enslaved. It doesn't get any darker than that. But then in the middle of the storm, he had this come to Jesus moment. A better way to put that is he had this moment where God's grace became real for him, where it wasn't just something that you read about in a book. It was something he realized was all he really had, was the foundation of everything else. He kept his promise, still more complicated, and it's a shorter story than the full version, but he, um, he was brilliant, and he went to seminary and uh, became a very famous pastor in London, and led a church that, again, wasn't stuck in moralism or tradition or reducing things into something less than they are, where tradition helps us bring the gospel to people, we embrace it. But, but he, he wanted to bring God's word to God's people. He was particularly passionate about children's ministries, our modern-day VBS, making sure kids could experience the power of this amazing grace, too, in his church. And people um, responded by the power of the Holy Spirit. John was also a creative artist, and he wrote songs and poems. And he wrote one that you know. Oh, he wrote a bunch of them you know. And that you've probably sung many times in your life, even if you're brand new to church. You probably know the most famous one, arguably the most famous song in the world. He wrote that. This guy. And so as you hear it sung, right from the middle of where we live, I want you to maybe hear it in a new way. Now that you know some of the rest of the story of the guy who was inspired to write it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. If you're able, wherever you are, even if you're online, even if you're driving, pull over and stand up. Everyone stand up and let's sing this together. But I want you to do more than just sing the words. Open your heart. Let these words be real for you. Let God's love be real for you. Let God's grace sweep over you. 
Let the sound be sweet. Let the power of it be transformational. Breathe it in. Together, let's sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Immerse yourself in God's love. Allison. Thanks, church. You may be seated wherever you are. <laughs> That's Christianity. That's Christianity summarized. It starts with the power of God's amazing grace. So what's keeping you from it? What's keeping you, not just from knowing the definition of grace? Anybody could do that. The devil knows the definition of grace. What's keeping you from experiencing God's grace in your daily life? There are some obstacles, and they're easy to trip over, especially these days. The first one, and it's easy for, you know, church people, a little too easy sometimes, to talk about irreligious people. So let's start there, and then we'll get less comfortable as we go. So there's this thing called religious, irreligious moralism. You know it, even if you don't recognize the term. It's self-righteous. It's controlling tries to control the things that you say and how you say them and where you can say them and what you do and when you get dismissed and when you're able to be included and when, when you get involved. And the temptation is to think it's false, that this is sort of a continuum, that there's a line. And so a religious moralism is over here, and then there's religious people over on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Only religious people can fall into moralism too. What's moralism? It's thinking that we can stand right, that we are righteous, either before the world, if you're irreligious and don't think there's a God, that we stand righteous before the world because we sound like the world now. We've conformed our ways to the world's ways. We live to fit in because we wouldn't want to not fit in. We conform our company to the world's ways if we have influence over that. We, we conform our way of life. We conform our vocabulary. We, we conform uh, our attitudes. We, we can conform the things that we say, the things we're for and the things we're against. It's all about us. And whatever popular opinion the culture of today, the shifting sand of culture says is moral and righteous now, it all depends on whatever the world says. And we make sure we fit into whatever the world says so that we can stand right before the world because the world has become our idol. The, world, the culture has become our God. We would hate to not fit in with the culture, so we'll make sure we sound exactly like the prevailing worldview of culture. It's irreligious moralism. And we're living, we're making an idol out of the world and the culture's worldview. There's no room for grace in that. But over on the opposite end of the spectrum, or so it seems as though, but we're the people who stand right before God. But it's moralism because we wrongly assume we stand right before a holy God because of what we've done. Because of how moral we are. Because we don't do those things that they do. Because we don't, we don't commit those sexual sins. Maybe some other ones, but not those. We, 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 we haven't done those things. We, we haven't had abortions or divorces or, or, or gotten involved in, you know, the, the usual things that make the top of the list for religious moralists. And so we feel confident, wrongly, falsely assured, that we stand righteous before our holy God because at least we're better than them. And, and if God's grading on a curve, which God isn't, according to the Bible, that we're going to be okay with God, that we can stand righteous before God because we're not mass murderers and we're not rapists and we're not people who do all these terrible things. So therefore, we're feeling pretty good about how things are going in our relationship with God. There's no need for grace in either one of those, which is why they're a whole lot closer together than they first appear. Irreligious moralism and religious moralism is really all about us. And so in reality... 
it's more like this. And there's a very thin line between irreligious moralism and religious moralism. And then there's a dotted line, if you will, here. And the cross marks the spot. And this is where grace resides. Now, if you're a religious moralist, you don't need it. Because you stand righteous before a holy God because you're such a great Christian. Or you're such a wonderfully spiritual person. Or because you've done a lot of things. If you're an irreligious moralist, you don't need grace. Because that's not your goal anyway. If there is, even is a God, you don't need grace. You just need to make sure you sound like the rest of the world. And if we're irreligious moralists or we're religious moralists, we kind of paint some lines and some boxes on where we live. And we say, we, we don't have any grace. In other words, we don't love anyone. We, we love you if you fit inside our box. If you act like us and talk like us and think like us and vote like us, you're inside our box, whichever side it is, and we talk about it like it's completely the opposite, but there's a very thin line. Because this, down here below this dotted line, is all about control and power and self. Sorry, it's hard to make an S from that angle. Have some grace. Up here, it's the opposite. It's about freedom. I mean, true freedom. There's no freedom living inside a box and having to conform your views to everybody around you just so you fit in. You can be, the, the, the folks over here say, oh no, we love, we love, religious moralists, we love people as long as they're inside our box. Irreligious moralists say, we love people as long as they fit inside our box. It, but if they say the wrong thing, or do the wrong thing, they are absolutely dismissed. And so down here is self-righteousness. Up here is righteousness that comes through Jesus and through Jesus Christ alone. Where do you find yourself here? Oh, maybe the most important thing on this chart. <laughs> There's no box up here with grace. And this is the most challenging part. If you're going to live here, you listen to your Lord who says, you have to love your enemies, the people who hate you, the people who totally disagree with you, the people who don't see the world you do, the way you do. You don't have a box up here. You look at everyone, including irreligious moralists, atheists and agnostics too, including religious moralists, the fundamentalists, the people who drive you crazy sometimes, and you say, but I do love you. I love you anyway. That's why this is the place of freedom. There's no freedom in saying you have to be like me in order for me to love you. There's only freedom. This is radical. This is, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm getting old and mildly grumpy. I don't know. But it feels to me like lately, everybody's drifting down here. And it's heartbreaking to the God who pours out his amazing grace for the world. And I sometimes wonder if God isn't saying, did you forget about the heart of Christianity? Did you forget, Christian, what our faith is really all about? That you're to love the whole circle, not just left wing or right wing, that you're to be for the whole bird? That, that you're, for, you're for all of God's children, for all of God's people? Self-righteous and religious humanism has no space for grace. Neither does self-righteous, irreligious, or it should say religious legalism. Can we change that? I just noticed that for the first time. It should say religious. So Eric, can we change that for 11 o'clock? So the 11 o'clock sermon will be perfect and there'll be no need for grace. <laughs> if the pastor would just fit inside my box, I'd like his sermons. Self-righteous religious legalism. It's as easy as one, two, three. Romans one, two, three. The, the, probably the deepest, most amazing theological treatise, not just Bible scholars, but literary scholars say so, is the book of Romans. Paul wrote, wrote it not as a deep theological treatise, though. He wrote it to a church in Rome that he loved. And he, he, he had heard reports about how they had drifted down here, how they had forgot what Christianity was really all about, how radical it is that we are commanded to love everybody, even the people who hate us, how we are commanded to turn the other cheek. He heard about this. He heard about how 
other people were, were, were turning it into Jesus plus stuff, to a bunch of to-do lists. Well, in order to really be a saved Christian, you have to do all these things. You have to, you have to pray the sinner's prayer, even though it's not in the Bible. You have to come to an altar call, even though that's not in the Bible. You have to, do it a, you have, to have a conversion experience like I did, even though that's not in the Bible. Great if you've prayed the sinner's prayer and gone to an altar call and had a conversion experience in a particular way. Those are some of the ways that God saves souls. But when you start making them requirements, when you start turning them into prerequisites for salvation and for transformation and for new life and for real Christian faith, that's grace plus. Paul goes after it all. Romans 1, he says, you have no excuse even if you don't think there's a God. Look at his creation and ask yourself, how did all this get here? How did you get the breath of life? How did you get the heart that beats? How did you get this feeling of being able to love people? Where did all this come from? Just random coincidence? Romans 2, Paul goes after and so he says, you can't use that as an excuse. He says, but in case you're feeling comfortable, religious people, you judge people too. Judgment is kind of the order of the day down here. Forgiveness and grace is the order of the day up here. But it's not just grace plus, it's also cheap grace. And a word needs to be said about that. Because in Romans 3, Paul goes after cheap grace. In Romans 14, I'm sorry, he goes after grace plus. In Romans 14, he goes after cheap grace. Because he says, I've heard the reports. I've heard that some of you think you don't have to hang out with everybody. I've heard that some of you are being divisive. I've heard that some of you think that your faith doesn't have any like effect on the way you live your life, that, that you've got this grace that God loves you because Jesus died on a cross and that's true, but therefore you can just go back and be a slave trader. Just go back to the same old boat, John Newton. But that's when Paul really challenges us as Christians. And to paraphrase, he basically says this. If God's grace hasn't radically changed your life, maybe you never got it in the first place. Because it isn't a small thing. It isn't a minor detail in your life. It isn't just some sort of religious exercise you go through. It's radically transformational. It's completely overwhelming. It changes us from, as Paul says in Romans 12, conforming to the patterns of this world, instead being transformed by the renewing of our minds to see things in a whole new way. We have been set free from the bondage to our sin, from prison. It's like getting a get-out-of-jail-free card in Monopoly. If you've been set free from prison, why would you keep going back at the end of every day? Why would you want to lock yourself back in? Why, why would you still be a slave trader? Why, why would you still practice the same dark things you did before you saw the light? These are the distractions to God's grace. They keep us from the full experience, the full freedom, the full life. They keep us from Christianity. Paul sums it up in two verses. And I'm not just talking about he sums up his letter in two verses. I'm telling you he sums up Christianity in two verses. These two, up on the board. Let's read them together, wherever you are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Wow, God's grace is amazing. I was watching Ninja Warrior the other night. For the second time in my life, some of you are totally into it. I, I get it. I'm into NASCAR. Not everybody's into NASCAR. But Ninja Warrior, I'm not really into, unless McKenna Hassey is on this episode. And she's a member of our church. And she was on the episode this week from Tacoma, Washington. And so I'm watching McKenna Hassey at the Tacoma Dome. We're excited to watch her. And then they don't even put her on the dang show. And I was so upset. But, you know, God bless her. She was very gracious about it because she hangs out up here. But I was kind of intrigued in this one-hour show that felt like three. I was watching. <laughs> I, I was I was watching that toward the end of the course, when, when you get to the end, after you've done all of these physically demanding, almost impossible to survive kinds of obstacles, you get to the end, and then you're like face to face with our baptismal wall here. 
And you got to climb this, I don't even know what they call it, this ninja wall. And some people can do it. But what if the ninja wall was a hundred times higher than the highest one? You see, that's our problem. (laughs) Spiritually. Literally. With God. God's word literally tells us that all of us have sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We're not going to get that. We can't get there from here. We can't climb that wall. We can't get to the top. It's not doable. So here's Christianity in two verses in a nutshell. Thanks be to God who sends his son Jesus into this world for us. We can't get up there, so God comes down here. That's why the water's coming down. It's coming down from heaven. The marble of the baptismal font is from the Holy Land. The limestone around it is from Iowa. Do you get it? God's living water, his grace is being poured out for us. It's breaking through for you. It's amazing. It's overwhelming. We have no hope without it. We can't get there from here, so God brings it to us. He doesn't just bring us the promise of heaven. He brings us new life. He brings us fullness of life. God in his grace, everyone say grace. His amazing grace freely makes us right. We stand righteous before a holy God, not because of what we've done, irreligiously fitting into this world, worshiping the God of this world, or religiously making sure that that we conform to all of the the, the legalistic laws of uh, of the religious world. But he did this through Christ Jesus. That's how we have any hope of standing righteous before a perfect and holy and eternal God. He set us free from the things that would keep us apart from this holy, eternal, perfect God. Our sins, the stuff that's at the root of every dark and evil problem in this world. And broken relationship and broken heart and shattered dreams and disappointed souls. So what is grace? What makes it so amazing? Well, I've already talked about it in this way. It's God's gift. It's undeserved. It's like the little girl in Christmas opening up the present she always wanted. Even though all month long her parents have been telling her, if you're good, you'll get the present you want. If you're good. Sally and I use that parenting style. We find it to be a great motivator. <laughs> if you're good, you'll earn the present. That's decent parenting, debatable, but decent. (laughs) But it's not grace. Grace means I know you won't be good enough for this present. But I'll give it to you anyway. You didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it. It's free. And here's the humbling part. It's the only way you're going to get it. See, that's what the cross should do to us every time we look at it. It should be a reality check for us. That we don't just look at it and go, yeah, Jesus, you're great. You died for them. You died for those terrible people who are out there in the world. The people who need you to die for them. No, humbly, we should look at the cross and say, Jesus, you died for me. Because it's my only hope. It's the only way I'm going to stand right before you. It's humility. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. It's the great equalizer. I was watching the NBA championship the last quarter last night, because that's the only quarter that's really worth watching if the Bulls aren't playing. So Giannis, I'm going to try his last name. It starts with an A. Giannis is arguably the best basketball player on planet Earth right now. He could have an ego like a lot of athletes do who aren't even the best player on the face of the Earth that's, you know, a mile wide. Because most athletes who are that good kind of do. And they say, well, part of the reason I'm so good is because, you know, I got the attitude. Giannis is this breath of fresh air. He was asked in an interview after one of these games. They're one game away from being champions of the NBA, his team. Unfortunately, they're from Wisconsin. But <laughs> I got I to gotta work on this. I got I to, gotta, I, I love Wisconsin, I do. Packer fans, too. Everybody. Somebody, one of the reporters in the press conference after a game said, hey, Giannis, tell us about about that block shot you had. Because not only was that a game changer, but it might be a series changer. It might be the thing that ends up leading and inspiring your whole team to to a championship. Short paraphrase of Giannis's eloquent answer. He said, um, 
Well, if you focus on the good things that you've done in the past, that's your ego. And if you focus on the great things you believe you're going to do in the future, that's pride. Because of my Christian faith, because at the heart of his faith is grace, I try to stay in the moment. The holy moment, I mean, just enjoy the game. And go out and play to the highest level I can at that moment. I try to just live for God, for the glory of God in that moment. Oh, wow. The cross absolutely insists that we live humble lives. That we don't start playing the game that everybody down here tends to play. There are people who are better and there are people who are worse. And conveniently, I'm going to make sure I'm in the category that's better and then other people are worse. That's dangerous, especially when we say, unless you fit inside my box, you're out. The cross reminds us we all need the same grace. God's grace has to be amazing for me, not just you. I'm not just preaching the sermon to you. I'm trying to receive it as we go. What makes grace so amazing? It's for everybody. Not just it humbles everybody, but it saves everybody. It's open doors. It's an all-access pass to this pathway that's going to lead to a full life. It's for you and it's for all. Turn to the person next to you, wherever you are, whatever Hope Campus or location you're at right now, and say, God's grace is amazing and it's for you, baby. Go ahead and just say that. It's for you. Now turn back to that person and say, because you need it. Go ahead. That might be kind of more fun to say, because you need God's grace. You do. I do too. Go ahead. If it makes you feel better, say, you need it too, Pastor Mike. Some of you really leaned into that. <laughs> but you're right, and I appreciate it. Because grace is a change agent that makes your life full. Be transformed, Paul says in Romans 12. All of us sin and fall short, but all of us, all of us are in line to receive God's grace. All of us, people in boxes too, tell them the good news. God's grace is for you. It'll transform, and suddenly their, their boxes will open up, and they'll say, oh, well, I don't just have to love people in here and over here. What would, imagine, please, imagine, just imagine, what would the world look like if we all lived in grace for one another? Even the people we disagree with. I'm not saying that there isn't a time to have the, the, the distinctive debates. Please do. But once we experience the overwhelming power of God's grace, we can never be the same again. If grace hasn't radically changed your life, go back to grace. And go get some more of it. The stuff that you and I need. Our only hope. Realize what a gift it is. Realize what a reality check it is. Realize how it's an all-access pass for, for you and for me. Realize its power to radically become a change agent in our lives, to make our lives full and complete. During VBS, we have these silly skits, and I want to close with this. Um, I'm going to show you just a, a short part of one of the skits. It was the Thursday skit, and our theme was grace in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. But it's because God loved the world. It's not just God gave his son. It's for God so loved the world, his amazing grace. The Greek word for love there is agape. It literally means a grace-based love. God so had this grace-based love for the world that we don't deserve that he sent Jesus down the ninja warrior wall that we can't climb. So that if you just believe in him, you're going to find yourself on top of the wall. You're going to have a victory. In this skit, uh, Pastor Danny from Hope Ames, our son, uh, plays ER. All week long, Danny's character kind of had this thread through the skits where he was the villain. He, he was the bad guy. He was ER, E.T.'s evil cousin. <laughs> and, and we called him ER because he sent people to the hospital. I know, pretty rough, right? But don't worry, it's kids, so we made it not quite as rough. We said, he didn't hurt people and send them to the ER. He, he, would, he would hack their computers when they were looking for directions. And he would send them to the hospital. So it was messing up the whole world. That's how dark ER was. Villain. And he was kind of hanging out with Darth Invader, played by Pastor Nick, quite well, I might add 
who was trying to pull all the cast to his side, to the, to the dark side of the force where all the power supposedly really was. But it's a little box on either side. And so Darth Invader is, you know, trying to get ER's soul, and I'm playing Planet Hope Dude, and I'm, I'm trying to show him the light, and so it's this battle for his soul. But then he experiences love, God's love, more importantly, and grace, amazing grace. And it radically transforms his life, so much so that Danny wrote this particular skit and decided to bring a song from the um, rather dramatic musical Les Mis right into the skit, <laughs> which is all about a transformation at the beginning that Jean Valjean experiences. And do you remember why? Because somebody demonstrated the amazing grace of God to him. In this case, a priest, after Jean Valjean stole his silver, and then the police arrested him and brought him back to the priest's home, the priest, the pri and they said, he had the gall to say that you gave him this silver. And the priest says, I did, even though he didn't. In fact, Jean Valjean, thief, you forgot the best part. And he went and got the most expensive candlesticks in his home, and he added those to his bag. Well, that really messed with Jean Valjean's soul. Who, who could love me like that? Well, God does. God has. Has grace become real for you yet? Is it amazing to you yet? Because when that moment happens, you will never be the same again. It will change everything. Have some fun. Take a look. But experience the power of God's grace on the way told me that it's no use because the dark side is just way too strong and I will always be mean. I can't be big enough to feed it. Well, if you can't be big enough, I've got really good news for you. I, I know something that is big enough. Are you serious? What is it? It's God's love. Love? Uh, love? Ew, love? Gross. It's not gross. It's the most powerful force in the universe. You want to talk about the force? The most powerful force is God's love. It's not... The, the darkness of Darth Invader. It's, it, it's not the bad stuff. It's not our sin. It's, it's not living for ourselves. It's living for God. It's the power of love. God loves us. He wants us to love other people. It's the most powerful force in the universe. You cannot resist the dark side of the force. Oh, I, I don't know, boys and girls, what should I do? Should I go with Darth or should I go with God's love? Go with God's love. Go with God's love. That's it, Darth. I'm not going with you. I'm going with God's love. Attaboy. Don't make me take you. Planet Hope, dude, help me. This will be all too easy. What are you doing? What is that? Planet Hope, dude! What are you doing? Planet Hope, dude! Planet Hope, dude! so long before! Oh, what have I done? I am reaching, but I fall, and the night is closing in. As I stare into the night, the whirlpool of my sin. I'll escape now from that Darth. From the world of ER, Valiar! ER is nothing now! Another story must begin! I don't want this anymore! I want to be free! I want to be free! <laughs> oh. 
put me down now. Whoa. Whoa, I don't know what just happened. ER, Jesus' love has turned you into a whole new person. Welcome to the family of God, ER. We're glad to have you. Guys, I used to fear the power of the dark side, but then I learned that Jesus' love for me is more powerful than anything in the whole universe, even the bad things I've done. Amen. God's grace is so amazing. It's a change agent that transforms us. It makes our life whole. It, in the skit, ER's name was changed at that point. He was no longer known as ER, but TR, the rock. Have you had that kind of transformation? Have you experienced God's grace? Not just thought about it? Well, maybe today's the day. Open your heart. As I was leaving VBS with my wife on Friday, we were heading down Ashworth Road, not because that's the fastest way home, but because there's so much stinking traffic in the parking lot. And we pulled up to the red light on 60th and Ashworth, and here comes a car, and their windows are down, and they're still singing the VBS songs, the kids in the car. And then they look over, and they see Sally and me, and they're like, ah! <laughs> Sally told me another song leader was at the grocery store and was wearing her VBS t-shirt and some kids saw her and they ran up to her and they were so excited that she said, to eternity! And she said, and beyond! Which is our theme. A seventh grade girl was coming in to volunteer one morning and she was on the phone and my wife was walking in at the same time and heard her say to her mom on the phone, I haven't been this happy in over a year. So good to be back at VBS. It's the power of God's love. It's transformational. It changes everything. Grace is God's gift. It's a reality check. It's an all-access pass. It's a change agent. And finally, it's an eternal lifesaver, G-R-A-S-A-C-E. But we'll pick it up there next week at Taste of Hope. We'll take a closer look at what the Bible says heaven's going to be like. I mean, for real. Here's a hint. It's pretty good. But I'll tell you all about it at Taste of Hope. We're going to be at Waterworks Amphitheater next Saturday at 5. I hope you'll join us. And if you're a party pooper, come on Sunday. Um, but, but either way, uh, make sure you come and hear this good news. Because God's grace is so amazing, it comes with a promise that we're going to live to eternity. Yeah. To eternity. Yeah. To eternity.